All right, so bonus round. Let's talk about building a game company, something you've done with Level 99 to the point where now it's your full-time job. This is what you do. You get to do this stuff for a living, which I think is a lot of people's dream, or at least they think it's their dream. They've never done it necessarily, and so it could be kind of a dangerous thing. It's easy to believe it's better than maybe the reality sometimes. We can talk about well, that. Well, I'll tell you, it was not. it's not been what I expected it to be when I started. Uh-huh. It's In some cases, it's a lot more. In some cases, it's a lot less. Um, but I'm looking forward to telling you about it. Yeah, definitely. So let's talk about that. You, in the main show, you talked about how Battlecom was your first game. You went to Kickstarter, you got funded, and it's kind of just gone from there. But walk me through the last, I mean, not in necessary detail. This didn't have to last forever, but just like walk me through the last five years of kind of the big highlights of what has uh, helped you go from Kickstarter, never done this before, to now this is my full-time job. First of all, I have to say that uh, – the, in this industry, the money is in publishing. Yeah. It is not in design. Right. So there are very few full-time designers, maybe about 10 to 20 in the whole world. There are a lot of full-time publishers. So if you want to go full-time, uh, either be prepared to design like crazy for 20 years, and then maybe you'll be able to make it a full-time gig, or um, you know, be prepared to make it your full-time job by going into the publishing industry. Now, uh, so that so my my job is not to be a game designer. My job is to be a game publisher, and so that's what I go to the office and I do. Um, occasionally, I design a game, but I typically only come out with a new game about every year to two years. So my actual games that I've designed: Battlecon, the Pixel Tactics, Exceed, uh, Mini Game Library, um, which was was back between those, and that's pretty much it a couple small titles seven card slugfest just duelers all those um but i eventually decided that i i need to focus on one big game right uh and try and get one really cool big game out every year or two and so that's what i do now in the meantime i'm helping out with other games so i did a lot of development for a lot of the the development step for argent for imperial spells and steam our railway game for temporal odyssey um, the games that we've done in conjunction with other designers. So, anywho, to to go through all that, the um, when you are publishing, you are a business, and so you always have to be thinking about the bottom line. You have to be planned ahead. You have to know like this is, and it's it's very difficult at the beginning, and it gets easier as you go. But you have to know like I can sell about this many when I release a new title. I'm going to sell about this many. It's going to cost this much to produce. You know, stores are going to buy it for this much. They're going to sell it for for this much. I'm going to get that much back. Uh, how many are stores actually going to buy over the lifetime of the game? What does a one year or two year or three year supply look like? It's very much about doing a lot of spreadsheets yeah. and understanding kind of the the ebb and flow of the market. So, like for example, uh, in one one point we made a micro game, like love letter style micro game and called dragon punch and the the game was was really cool but the microgame fad that started with love letter had already passed at the time it came out because it takes about nine months to get to press and get your game out and so by the time we were then like we were distributing this game the microgame fad had had passed on and it just didn't uh didn't perform as well as we anticipated so kind of being market savvy in that sense, understanding what's happening, when to ride the wave, when to back off, 
that's a, uh, a very big part of it. Anyway, I should talk, I guess, about the, the actual experience of setting up a company, of getting, the, uh, getting everything together. Uh, so it started with just me in my garage. Um, I was a freelancer, so I had, my, I had uh, some kind of income. I was working to make iOS apps. Uh, my wife has a, has a full-time job and uh, with the government, so a very stable full-time job. And I, um, and I decided, oh, I'll do Kickstarter, and I'll try and get this game that I've done off the ground. So I went to Kickstarter. I made some graphics. I bought some artwork. I invested probably about $1,500 in the artwork for the game. Uh, I did all the box designs, everything myself uh, in a copy of Photoshop. And um, I produced the cards with Magic Set Editor, of all things, <laughs> and, um, and put it out. And, a, and I, I charged $25 for the game. Uh, I thought that was, that was a good price. I, um, I had a quote already for the game that was going to be like $7 to produce so um, per unit. Uh, so we did all that. I raised about, I'd say, I guess it was um, around 19, 19K for that game. I forget how much we raised on the first project. But um, there were about 700 people that, uh, that got involved in the game. Uh, some of them pledged to create their own characters. We hit a few stretch goals. We added a few characters to the game. And, uh, and I'm like, cool, well, let's go ahead and let's start printing this. And so I went to the printer. I said, here's all the changes, everything that we've, that we've done uh, for this game. And they're like, cool, now it's 14 bucks a game <laughs> after all these changes. <laughs> oh, and that's, um, yeah. I was like, what? Well, fine. I'll print like the minimum run that I can. It'll be fine. So I printed the the bare minimum that I could print, and then um, which ended up being like uh, like three thousand or something. And then I had to ship it over the ocean to get to America. It was great. Um, and then uh, I got the game, and my friend uh, Kevin Brusky, who runs Ape Games, is like, "Well, just send them to me, and I'll ship them for you because I have a warehouse. I didn't, I didn't have a warehouse or anything, so I was relying on on his help to ship these games." So uh, I sent the games to him. I had them all shipped, and sometimes the shipping was like fifteen to twenty dollars per for for a game, depending on the zone it was going to. Right. Um, so <laughs> anyway, all told, it cost me about forty thousand dollars to do this project that I raised about twenty yeah. for, and um, it was it was pretty rough. I was uh, I was in a pretty bad space, but. We also released the game in distribution, and our distribution sales of the last, you know, 2,300 units eventually made up for the deficit of yeah. the uh, of the game. Uh, but I learned a lot about how to not uh, overdo, you know, how to plan for shipping uh, ahead of time, and how to get multiple quotes from multiple factories. Because to give an example, like $14 for a game, um, a game like Millennium Blades doesn't cost $14 yeah. and it's Millennium Blades cards. Yeah, it's like 800 cards right. and this factory that I worked with at that time charged me $14 for a you know a 120 card game yeah. which is absolutely ridiculous I should never have agreed to that but I didn't know I didn't know any other factories to contact I didn't have any good working relationships and um, you know and so I was, was charged through the nose for it and I paid for it um, so you have to be willing to to you know to do that background work to create a spreadsheet to get a bunch of quotes to 
talk to a bunch of different uh, manufacturers to think about costs like plastic molding, box die molding, um, the uh, tooling for the different parts, the um, especially like shipping overseas to get the game to your to your doorstep, and also the cost of fulfillment from when it gets to you to all the people who have purchased it because. You know, once you're spending, even if you're spending seven or eight dollars for shipping, that can add up really fast. Once you have two or three or four thousand backers yeah. who want a project, and once you have three or four products in a single thing in a single uh, Kickstarter, because multiple products cost more for picking and packing as well. So we did that. The next project, I did a couple other projects. I've shipped games out of my garage. I basically had my garage full of pallets for like three or four months at those points. And I said, hey, I'll get a warehouse. I ran the Battlecon Devastation Kickstarter. We made 150K. I was like, I think it's time to get a warehouse so that I can store and ship all these things. Well, I got a warehouse. Um, the warehouse was, uh, was big. It was like a 3,000 square foot warehouse. I thought it was really big. Had a little office attached. And I went into work every day, and I worked. And I hired one guy to come in and and um, help me ship boxes if I, when I needed it. And so we did. We we opened the online store. We started shipping. We even occasionally took uh, orders from other people shipping in boxes. That um, that lasted for about two years. And by the end of it, I had like six or seven local guys come in, and we would get in orders for projects that were so big that we couldn't fit, we expand our warehouse to 6,000 feet, we still couldn't fit all the pallets in our warehouse. Wow. So, and it was crazy expensive because I've got to pay each of these guys, um, we, paid 12, we paid $12 an hour to each guy. Um, we'd have six of them come in and pack boxes for using the, the post office. So the, post, the boxes were free, but the post office charged, you know, like, uh, like, 12 to $20 per box, depending on how heavy they were, uh, going out throughout the, the, the USA. And then our warehouse was costing like $3,000 a month and, um, you know, power and lighting and computers and equipment for every single person there. And, and when the, when you finish a project, what are they all going to do? So, um, at that point I had like six, or seven guys working for me who didn't necessarily have a clear job outside of ship projects. We have a Kickstarter, so I, uh, I got in a bit over my head, and I have to admit I wasn't a very good time manager for, for these employees. And in a lot of cases, I hired friends that wanted to work as opposed to people that had real applicable board game skills. Um, <laughs> so anyway, so a certain, point, a certain point came, and I realized um, that a bunch, of product, or a bunch of products got stuck over in China due to um, like some real mismanagement on the part of our factory. And we went for like three or four months without a new release because uh, games just weren't shipping. And we uh, basically, I, I looked at the books and I realized that I was I was going to be deeply in debt. I didn't know it yet, but I looked at all my bills and then I looked at all of my lines of credit and I looked at all my expenses every month. And I was like, wow, I actually am like a quarter million dollars in debt. What's happened? here and that's a really realized, terrible thing to realize <laughs> yeah it's a pretty terrible thing to realize yeah. right it's good to realize and, it but it's that's a tough day and um and i said well this is this has got to go my lease was up in my warehouse i got rid of the warehouse i cut all the staff except one 
I um, I moved back to a home office. I shipped all of my goods to a fulfillment center in New Jersey, um, who would warehouse them and ship them for my online store uh, at a tiny fraction of the cost that I was paying for my current setup, and uh, and greatly downsized. And then new products came out. I shipped. My, I got uh, extended credit from my printers and from my bank, and I just sat there for about a year and just made more money than I was spending. Yeah. And um, and then eventually we ran our project for Millennium Blades, and that was wildly successful and pulled us out of that debt, uh, so that we were like now positive again. So now I could start building the company a second time, the right way, and not uh, screw it up. So knowing what I was doing, uh, I kept all my expenses really light. I you know had people. I had I hired uh, people part time hour by hour so that I wouldn't be stuck with any labor that I couldn't use. And we began working for um, on uh, other projects. So we finished uh, the second season of Exceed. We finished Millennium Blades. We finished the reprint of Argent, uh, or the sequel to Millennium Blades, Set Rotation. Um, so those three big games. We also cleared out our catalog of small games, and we decided to stop printing small games because the market... I looked at the market, and I think the market's going in big in the direction of big games. You see all the big games. It's Rising Sun. It's Gloomhavens. It's uh, you know those kind of big uh, collectors-type games that are doing well on Kickstarter these days. And I think that's where the industry is going. So we decided to not do so many small games, focus more on the big stuff. And that's where we are now, like where we've got um, about eight people that are really good at what they do who work on just the projects that we need them for and not too much more. And we're also trying to diversify with some video games, with uh, you know more big box games, with reprints of our most uh, most well-known products, all of that stuff, keeping um, you know kind of kind of sticking to a core of what we do and what we want to do. So yeah. and that's uh, and I think that having a plan and having a budget, are and uh, and not hiring people just to keep them employed is what I have learned in these five years. Yeah, definitely. And then also building relationships, whether it's with manufacturers or fulfillment people or whatever, just building yeah. relationships. Surrounding and, yourself with people you trust yeah. and with people who um, who you know who will do a good job. Yeah. All right. So what would you tell somebody who's sitting there listening to this thinking, I really want to have my own company, I want to start my own publishing deal, what would you say? Um, I would say if you can go, if you're in a position where you can go get an MBA first, <laughs> do that first, uh, because this is a, this is running a, it's, it is a business and it's a full-time job, and your job will be to do business. Um, if you're not in a position to get an MBA, read a lot of books and then build a plan, and like build a real plan with numbers <laughs> in it, and um, let let the let the numbers guide your decision. Uh, more than your own sentiments or what you think is is right or wrong. Um, I, I say it right or wrong. I mean, like in a sense, take like a Kickstarter exclusives, right? There, there are a lot of things that you um, that have Kickstarter exclusives these days, and a lot of players are like, oh, I hate exclusives, and I also hate exclusives, especially content exclusives. Um, and I decided I didn't want to print them, but there are things that are like. Well, this game would cost sixty dollars on Kickstarter, or it would cost two hundred and thirty in retail, right. because of how expensive it is. So maybe I just won't bring the game to retail. And 
like I like to have all my games at retail because I want them to be available to folks. But if a game is not feasible for retail, then you just have to accept that that's the reality of the situation and not try and force it. Right. So, um, so that's what I say when I say you know whether you whether you like something or not, make sure that you're playing by the numbers and not by your own sentiments. Yeah. No. Oh, great advice. Man, Brad, that's, that's awesome. That's a really cool ebb and flow of story. I'm glad you're on the other end now. You're on kind of the, the mountaintop as opposed to the valley that you were in. Well, it's always, it's always a challenge, and we're always learning new things, and right. I expect there will be more challenges in the future. Oh, yeah, but, uh, definitely. I'm prepared. Right. <laughs> yeah, you, the, uh, the, yeah, the experience uh, has brought you some wisdom for sure in how to, how to do things now. And I'm glad you survived because there's a lot of people who went through the same thing and they're still 100 grand in debt because they never got to the other side. And so I think it's so important for people to realize that that is a possibility. And if you go into it and you mismanage some things and some things don't work out, then you could be in a tough place. So know as, have as much uh, information going in as you can. Yeah, and then to follow that up, I would say that it, it's – especially if you invest a lot of yourself into your business. Yeah. Um, it can be very crippling to have an, those kind of uh, – to be in that kind of a situation. And for me, um, were it not for the support of my, my wife most especially and also my friends um, and even the employees that I had to let go, you know, like uh, we're friends and they understood, it was um, – without all that support, um, I don't know if I would have made it. So – I, um, I want to say that it's important to not neglect your real life for yeah. your business. You right. know, it's not your business is not you. And that's also something that I struggle with being a, a very single minded sort of person. I, uh, I get all in on something. So and I imagine a lot of people like me. So don't uh, don't neglect the important things in life uh, in the pursuit of your uh you know, of your career or yeah. your hobby or your dream or whatever it may be. Right. Yeah. Your self-worth, your value doesn't come from your business or your hobby, whatever it, it should come from mm-hmm. outside of that, your relationships and who you are as, as a person. Absolutely. Well, Brad, man, really, again, appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on the show and good luck with everything you got going on with level 99. And I hope the future holds some really cool stuff for you. Yeah. Thank you for having me. It's been a lot of fun to talk. Awesome. I hope you have a good one.